Hi everyone, it's Gerard Goff for another edition of Irish Voices, the podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined this time round by Chairperson of Scotland GA, Peter Mossy. Peter, thanks very much for joining us. Okay, thank you very much for uh, taking me into this role uh, <laughs> and joining your your prestigious list of uh, previous celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, I, I've, I've obviously got a wee bit of knowledge about yourself, but for for people who don't, tell us a wee bit about yourself, you know, your background, where you grew up and things like that. Yeah, well, I suppose um, from the perspective of the GAA, um, uh, first of all, from I hail from Tyrone, uh, the current All-Ireland champions. <laughs> um, but uh, in my day, there wasn't too many All-Ireland championships. We were, uh, when I was a minor um, back in Tyrone, uh, uh, that would have been the late 70s. Um, uh, we weren't a very prominent uh, in the All-Ireland uh, series, but um, my upbringing um, was in a small village uh, in County Tyrone uh, with a small population. And I started uh, Gaelic football at, uh, I think it was about under 14 level. And... Then, of course, uh, after playing under 14, under 16 minor, I moved uh, to Scotland to um, do my university education, which was in dentistry. And in fact, it was very unusual at that time uh, not to go to Queen's or, or, or Dublin. So I, I came to University of Dundee and um, I uh, qualified in 1983. I was there from 79 to 83 at a time when there was no uh, Gaelic football uh, or no Gaelic games um, at university level. And it, it was only later in my career when uh, I was in Glasgow doing a PhD, a later stage of my career that I began playing Gaelic football here. And that was actually with, um, with Sands McSweeney's and Coke Bridge. And uh, I played a season there and then the opportunity arose from my career to take me back to Dundee. Um, so I went from Glasgow Uni to Dundee Uni and set up a team at the University of Dundee and then a club team in 1990. Uh, and uh, since then, in terms of Gaelic Games, I've been an administrator of University Gaelic Games in Britain. Uh, actually did that for 20 years, um, from 1995 to 2015. And then more recently, I mean, throughout that time from, um, from 1990, I was playing uh, club football with uh, Dundee Dalriada, who then later merged with Aberdeen to become Dalriada. Um, and uh, then when my playing days were over, I got back into the administrative side and uh, currently chair for the last three years now, actually, um, chair of the county board, uh, the Scotland County Board here. Magic. So, so, but looking back to um, to growing up in in Tyrone, uh, you obviously played to a very decent level. Um, so, was it something that you played from ever since you were a kid? I guess. Well, in the uh, little parishes, um, the uh, schools. Um, at that time uh, were where you got your uh, Gaelic football uh, induction. 
and everybody joined in. It wasn't it wasn't it was not really optional. <laughs> you, you played Gaelic football just just like you did Irish dancing. <laughs> uh, so so that was part of the, the curriculum. And uh, of course, uh, like happens here and everywhere else, you get a very very special bond with your own parish, and you play all the um, other local parishes and. Uh, so that bond uh, with your local uh, school and parish and people that you grow up with is a tremendous lifelong bond. So I still, um, you know, fondly remember my under twelve, under fourteen, under sixteen teammates, and uh, I'll keep in touch with them. Uh, and yes, uh, the football was taken quite seriously. It was quite competitive, uh, and our senior team. Um, at that time, we're, we're a good team and everybody had people to look up to and uh, you were inspired by uh, your, your older peers um, who were playing in the, in the senior team. And of course, that's a very uh, prestigious thing to do in a small parish. Um, you always look up to those who represent you on a Sunday afternoon on the football pitch. Was it something that, did you have siblings that played? Um, did, your, did your dad play back in the day or...? Is it kind of passed yeah, down at, through at, generations? At the time when my father was growing up, um, there was no Gaelic team in, in my little parish in, in Gorchen. And uh, in fact, uh, it started um, about three or four years. The youth uh, teams in, in Gorchen started um, three or four years before uh, I became uh, an under 12 and under 14. So it was relatively uh, recent. Um, when I started playing the Gaelic football, but I did have um, uh, four brothers uh, and three sisters. Well, my four brothers obviously all uh, played Gaelic football as well. Uh, and in fact, there was one famous occasion uh, when all of us played on the one team, but I think it only <laughs> happened once. <laughs> we were at uh, different stages and different teams and uh, the senior and the reserves, but, but that... Um, yeah, there was a special uh, bond with your uh, your brothers as well when you were all playing together. Mm. And were you so you you quite sporty in general? Did you play any other sports out with uh, the Gaelic football? Not until I came to uh, university. Okay. And uh, I, I came to university in 1983, and and Dundee at that time um, uh, they didn't have a Gaelic football team, uh, along with. Uh, a few other Irish, and there weren't too many of us, we did um, on a Sunday afternoon go down to Riverside and kick a ball about. Um, and we could have said at that time, yes, we, we could have competed as a team, but there was nobody else at university level uh, in Scotland to play against. So I actually then, uh, to get competitive sport, I did other sports. So I did play a bit of rugby. Um, and I also, probably my most successful sport was um, uh, Shotokan Karate because I joined the karate team, quite liked it and um, did it for right throughout my university career. Started off obviously as a novice. Uh, when I qualified as a dentist, I was also uh, a black belt in Shotokan. And I actually got onto the Scottish team and competed in the European Championships. So at that time, that was a big chunk of my life, but there was no Gaelic at that time. 
so yes, I, I love all sports, um, but those are the ones I was kind of most successful at. <clears throat> I guess um, someone that's you know played Gaelic uh, rugby and is involved in karate is somebody you don't want to mess with in the pitch either. So uh, people will <laughs> well, <aware. laughs> sometimes regard uh, Gaelic games as a combat sport, but it's actually um, yeah. I mean it's. It, it's robust and it does help if you're um, you really need to be fit. You need to have good upper body strength and uh, um, it helps to be athletic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the great thing about Gaelic actually is you don't need to be big. You can be fast and athletic. And I mean, there's some very good examples. There's a troll man called Peter Canavan. Uh, he's no more than uh, five foot eight or five foot nine. But one of the most dynamic footballers, um, probably regarded as one of the best ever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said that when you were playing in the the seventies, that's obviously a time when uh, conflict was raging in the north of Ireland. Did that have any effect on on where you were when you were playing um, Gaelic football? The only uh, effect that that would have had um, was the uh, presence um, and sometimes a very significant presence around uh, Gaelic football matches of security forces. I remember going to games at, and at, mainly when there was big crowds going to games in Clonus, for example, uh, games in Oma County games, um, you very often had to be prepared uh, for an extra half hour wait if there was uh, cars being stopped and searched uh, on the way to games. And I remember that being uh, your minibus would be stopped, you'd all get out, uh, your bags would be searched. That kind of, of thing was an element. Um, but, uh, you know, apart from that, we, we just carried on with our, with our Gaelic games and our, our Gaelic sports. Absolutely. And when, when you were growing up, did you have any kind of uh, heroes in the county team that you kind of looked up to in particular? At, at my level, um, when I did my uh, A-levels and, and final year, there was a school competition. Uh, it was called uh, the McRory Cup. Um, and the McRory Cup competition uh, was, was between schools and colleges. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to be in a, a team of, of great Gaelic footballers when I was uh, playing McRory Cup football, uh, some of whom uh, went on to become you know, major GA stars uh, and played for the county. Um, while I was over in Scotland, they had progressed into uh, the senior county team. Um, so it's people like Paddy Ball, uh, one of the Tyrone greats of the past, Noel McGinn. You know, they, these are people I played with at college level. Um, Finbar McNamee, all, you know, great, great players. And they were the people that kind of inspired uh you to continue because you knew, you know, I played shoulder to shoulder with some of these guys who've gone on to become uh, great players. So, um, focusing on the, the academia a wee bit, um, you've obviously, you've, you've led a, a, a wide and kind of varied um, career in your field. How, why did you choose, you know, dentistry, orthodontistry? Why, why did that? Um, come into your thinking again uh, it's strange you know life takes you in different directions than you might intend but uh, when I was applying uh, 
through UCAS as it would be now to go to university. Uh, my ambition was uh, because our little village uh, in Gorchen and uh, the Sperrins in Tyrone did not have a dentist, um, I thought, well, uh, this is something that um, I like science. Uh, um, actually, I liked art as well, and they sometimes called dentistry a mixture between art and science. And um, I quite liked the, the idea. And my ambition was go over to Scotland, get a, a dentistry degree, come back and set up practice uh, in my local village. And um, when I did qualify, yes, I did go back to Ireland. I actually worked in uh, Ballyshannon in Donegal and Enniskillen in County Fermanagh, just on both sides of the border uh, for a while. But I got a call while in that job um, in surgery in Enniskillen. Uh, the head of the orthodontic department back in Dundee asked me, did I want to come back and do uh, a specialist post in the hospital? And I agreed to do that. I thought, what a great opportunity, you know, further training. I'll do that and I'll get back into my, uh, my position that I aspired to uh, with more skills. But then uh, life leads you in different directions. I, I decided then to specialize uh, in orthodontics and in surgery at that time, uh, which I really enjoyed. And life is led by opportunities. An opportunity presents, you apply, if you're successful, you move into that sphere. And uh, it was like just a series of stepping stones that, that led me um, into the position uh, where I am now. But you know, on the way, um, things inspired me like being on call for children that were born with facial deformities when I was doing my registrar post in Fife. And um, every parent that has a child born with a, with a cleft of the lip or palate they always ask, why did this happen? They're, you're usually um, dealing with a very stressful situation uh, with parents. And I, I, it affected me to the extent that I said, if I ever get an opportunity, I'm going to do some research on the causes of these facial deformities. And that's what I did. When I got uh, into a position where I'd done my specialist training, I applied to do a PhD while I was in Glasgow. So I was in Glasgow at that time. Uh, uh, and that's when I started the, uh, the Gaelic um, training because the teams had started up in Scotland and uh, I, I joined the Coatbridge uh, team. And, uh, but at that stage, uh, I, did, I was doing a PhD. And when I finished the PhD, I came back to a lectureship post in Dundee. Fantastic. Yeah, I'd, I'd noticed just... Um... We're doing a bit of research that, that seemed to be an area that you, you'd focused on the, the cleft palate research and stuff like that and it was it's, it was quite an, it was quite interesting to note so um it just goes to show how things can affect you and, and stuff like that yeah um, yeah well it's, it's my other passion <laughs> apart from the <laughs> GAA. yeah when you first arrived in scotland how did you find it yeah i i was in dundee remember um and later moved to Glasgow and uh, uh, I found Dundee to be um, very, very similar in the attitude of the people to Glasgow because Dundee is a very friendly uh, place. They sometimes uh, describe uh, Dundee as the biggest village in Scotland. <laughs> and it's, 
it's big enough to be a city, but it's small enough for you to really know every every street and um, you don't know everybody, but you do make connections very quickly between the different parts of Dundee. And um, I've always felt very, very much at home in Dundee. I felt uh, people are very accepting. They have a big university on a, on a, a relatively small town and big university community that give you that uh, diversity of culture uh, which again uh, is very stimulating when you're working in academia. Uh, and also then the town, very friendly. There's a special relationship in Dundee between uh, the, uh, the city of Dundee and the people of Dundee and the university. Uh, and that's, uh, they call it the town and gown. Uh, very, very, uh, it's an inspirational place to work. I, I felt the same, I, I felt, uh, very much at home in Glasgow when I was doing my PhD in Glasgow as well. But same sort of uh, easygoing people, um, no big airs and graces. They, they just take everybody as they see them. And uh, a very, uh, uh, both Dundee and Glasgow are very inspiring universities to work for, work with. Were you aware of like Dundee's um, kind of Irish background before you came? Because it's maybe one of the it's maybe one of the cities that yeah. people don't associate with it, with Irish immigration as much, even though it does have that kind of fecund history. Yes, there is a significant Irish history in Dundee, and there's uh, a part of Dundee. Um, a, it's called Lochy uh, that is very often referred to in the city as Little Tipperary uh, because <laughs> there were so many Irish there, and there's. Um, three or four uh, part, you could call them parishes or churches around there. And that's where you find all the kind of Irish names. And a lot of them now are, you know, second and third generation Irish. So it's not that many first generation Irish. But there was one uh, outstanding example of uh, an Irish club in Dundee, and that was St. Francis Friary. And um, the parish priest there was a Father Eugene O'Sullivan and I worked very closely with Father Eugene uh, who was a hurler but came to Scotland um, and uh, obviously was finding difficulty getting hurling up and running so played shinty. So him and his Irish uh, uh, um, uh, compatriots at that time set up the Tayforth shinty club it was they who founded it and um and when i moved to dundee and we got to know each other uh it was that was the stimulus uh to start gaelic football it was um a, uh, a club uh, in st francis friary uh that stimulated the um formation of the team by virtue of uh, Father Eugene O'Sullivan having uh, a social club and uh, a very magnetic personality that uh, attracted the young uh, students at that time because there was two major universities in Dundee, the University of Dundee and University of Aberdeen, uh, both of uh, which had significant Irish uh, students. But the uh, lack of first-generation Irish meant that students have always kept 
the Del Rialto Club alive over the years. Um, it's been a student-based uh, club. You, I mean, you were obviously, you had a budgeting kind of academic career at that time. How did you manage to balance, you know, playing football um, and then, you know, coaching, being part of the admin with, you know, your your day-to-day -day work? It seems like it would be quite a, a feat. Yes, and of course, um, the the harder you work, the more you need an outlet. So, um, and uh, even when I was uh, doing a very intensive PhD project in uh, Glasgow, um, the um, mental uh, stresses uh, need to be complemented by you know a bit of physical exercise, and I've always. I'm a great advocate uh, for sport and exercise as um, uh, being as much for mental fitness as for physical fitness. And I've always found that. I've always found that outlet to be the greatest method of relaxation and recharging. And um, I still, you know, to this day, go out running at lunchtimes. I'm um, not running as fast as I used to, but uh, this is the the key uh, to mental fitness is uh, having an interest and having uh, a passion outside of your work because you've got to be able to, to switch. And um, <clears throat> intensive though the job is at times, I think it's complementary uh, to the sport. They, do, they both work, they work very well hand in hand. And just in terms of uh, when you arrived in Scotland, what was the, I know you said there wasn't a, obviously a team in, in Dundee and things like that, but what was the general scene like? What, what was some, what was the kind of landscape like of, of, of Gaelic games in Scotland at that time? Well, in uh, 1884, the GAA uh, was founded. Now, uh, throughout the history, and we're about to revisit that history, in our one, two, five celebrations, uh, there's always um, uh, been a bit of a roller coaster in the interest and level of interest um, in uh, Gaelic games in Scotland. So just after uh, the purchase of Pierce Park in 1953, um, there was an upsurge. So throughout the 50s and early 60s, uh, Scotland had some uh, very successful and very competitive at a British level, uh, Gaelic football teams. Um, however, for some reason in the 70s, it disappeared completely. There was actually no Gaelic games in, in the early 70s. And uh, there were still some people who had obviously invested in Pierce Park, but were unable uh, to sustain and get clubs involved. And there was a special meeting held in the centenary year. Uh, so that was 1984. And uh, they decided we must uh, revive uh, Gaelic games in Scotland. So they started the rebuilding or revival uh, of Gaelic games uh, from scratch almost. And uh, that led to uh, six teams being formed over a period of four or five years. And um, one of which uh, was the team that I joined uh, and Sans McSweeney's, but that was a very uh, vibrant time uh, for playing 
uh, Gaelic games because the revival had come to a stage where there were uh, a number of teams at very similar levels because they'd all started at the same time mm-hmm. and uh, they were building up. So that was uh, a great time to be involved. Uh, competitive teams with Mulroy Gales, Dumbarton St. Patrick's. Uh, there was a, a team that my father Sweeney had started uh, called Beltane Shamrocks. Uh, I remember people um, you know, that were normally uh, playing soccer and rugby were coming in to play Gaelic games because they liked the idea of the, the novelty of the sport. Um, there was a cousin of Paul McStay's played for that team uh, that used to strike over the 45s as if he was just uh, taking a penalty. Um, <laughs> over the years, it was these really good uh, and, and some of the great footballers uh, of that time started as novices and just uh, develop the skills of the game. Fantastic. Um, just in terms of, you're speaking about the on the 70s when it had fell away. Uh, Scotland is, I guess, kind of unique in that it's got, you know, clubs that were founded by the Irish community. Do you think like uh, in, the, in the past, you know, whereas maybe in Manchester or Birmingham, it's slightly different, but in Scotland, you maybe had Celtic or Hibs. They've kind of drew drew, drew away interest from the Irish community. Is, is that was that something that's maybe been a challenge in Scotland? That's maybe unique. It, it is in a in a way. Um, we would like to um, think of that as potentially being a strength because of uh, the other aspect of it is giving the Irish an identity and um, the. Um, the new thinking within Gaelic games uh, in Scotland is we're open to, or it used to be that all the teams would strive to get the Irish into their teams because um, they were people who played Gaelic football in the past and uh, they would start with a competitive advantage because they had a, uh, under their, um, uh, their wing, they had a, you know, skills that had already been honed and developed. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the new era, as we um, set up this year, and you'll you'll be aware that we now have junior, intermediate, and senior, and we're trying to make uh, Gaelic games much more uh, appealing uh, to all levels of of skill and have competitive games at three different levels. And I think that's a good uh, escalator for. Uh, developing uh, games and you don't have to uh, be proficient or have played the game before to come in and enjoy Gaelic sports and they, they're adopting exactly the same attitude at Can Craiga with the, uh, the hurling in Camogie and um, guys around Glasgow have played Shinty in the past are now joining up because there's a good community spirit there uh, there's good sport, they're developing new skills um, so I think it's all uh, working extremely well in terms of uh, the way that uh, Celtic and the Celtic interest gives them also an interest in uh, in Gaelic sport and Irish culture. And if our plans come to fruition, uh, and we're working very hard on this at the moment to redevelop Pierce Park, there'll be much more of an emphasis on making sure that Irish culture and Gaelic sports go hand in hand. And um, I would hope that the uh, 
there could be a, a, a new kind of partnership uh, with Celtic supporters uh, taking an interest in, in Gaelic games. And uh, because both, you know, have uh, origins um, that have at least uh, a similar interest in, uh, and, and we, um, all of us um, that come from Ireland uh, also have, you know, a, um, a, a very special bond with Celtic as well. So, you know, it's a good uh, way of um, giving us uh, in Scotland a unique uh, feature or developing Gaelic games. You've obviously experienced everything here as in terms of a player, a coach, being a, you know part of the admin and things like that. What what have been some of the, the biggest challenges you faced um, and being involved with the GA here? What, what have been some of the, the hardest things? The hardest thing in my own uh, personal uh, experience, um, uh, I think, is uh, setting up youth structures. And some clubs have done it extremely successfully. We've tried it in Dundee on a few occasions. And what that takes is um, uh, a tremendous amount of effort over a sustained period of time. You can't do it uh, in the short term. You have to think of it uh, as a long-term uh, objective. And uh, I think that's um, part of that is why I'd like to see the cultural side coming in. And that's why I've mentioned that and emphasized it. Um, because then you get uh, a, a larger and, and bigger spectrum of people involved. You get the parents to buy into it. Uh, they see it um, as uh, it's, a, it's actually a great sport to get involved in. The kids love it when they when they start learning new skills. But for um, the long term uh, future and sustainability of Gaelic games, we mm -hmm. must make the inroads into the um, the development of the game at under 12, under 14, under 16, uh, and try and retain uh, the kids during, especially in the transition as well from those youth structures into senior. But uh, Chirconnell Harps, for example, um, were very successful uh, a couple of decades ago. But if you, if you look at how that was achieved, it was a number of individuals who dedicated almost their entire lives to, to this objective and making it happen. And they were able to uh, win uh, a senior championship um, uh, against you know, the best teams in Scotland with homegrown players. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be kind of recreated at every uh, club. And if we do achieve that, and we're, we're actually making good progress this, this uh this last few years has been very encouraging. How uh, how many kids and uh, uh, schools and in in the youth clubs um, are actually um, staying with the Gaelic games and even during the pandemic, uh, there's the uh, while all the sports were shut down, there was such um, a tremendous community spirit retained during that time by the Gaelic football clubs. Um, that the youth are still involved and the, the youth tournaments at the end of this season uh, have been a joy to uh, to behold. I've, I've been at some of those under 12 games in the under 12 final a couple of weeks ago. 
great to see. I, I, I guess that's when you, you look at some of the GA clubs back home, uh, it is a real sense of community and it's trying to, you know, it, 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 that's the same sort of thing here. It's trying to kind of further that and grow it yeah. and things like that. It's it's just really important. As, as somebody who's played, you know, um, football and Gaelic football, I, I know that it's they're, they're actually quite different um, in terms of, you know, some of the guys in your football team can just, they, they can be acquaintances, but generally GA clubs, it's a lot more kind of, there seems to be more friendships are formed through them. That's maybe just my, my own personal experience, just a, an anecdote, but when yeah, we've looked, well, it's we'll, almost it's almost like uh, um, uh, like going to war, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and <laughs> because Gaelic football is, you know, you, you have to be uh, robust and you have to uh, be able to, you know, look look after yourself. And I think that forms a kind of a bond in itself. Um, I think maybe uh, I, you probably get the same in, in most team sports. In fact, you, you probably would. But uh, I always find that in Gaelic games is a great bond. Well, my one of my first games was against El Riada and it was at uh, it was at Dunbeth for Sands. So that was you know a long while ago, uh, <laughs> and it ended up in like a, I would say like a twenty eight man brawl. And the reason that it was two missing yeah. was because I was just like looking on, like, you know, having coming from playing football, <laughs> thinking what's going on here. And the guy that was marking me, he said, "Are you are you not going to get involved in this?" And I was like, "Absolutely not!" Like I didn't, didn't realize it was like that. <laughs> so it's just a it's just a funny anecdote. But as I got as I played for a wee bit uh, more, I know what you mean. It is kind of like you're you're dead protective of your own team and things like that. But yeah. it was, yeah. it was a it was a bizarre introduction right. for me. You know, tribal, <laughs> tribal <laughs> warfare. Um, I mean, even even in my time playing, like maybe the last 10, 12 years, um, I have noticed that there has been a, a resurgence in the interest and. There's been some real, real positives, both both at youth level um, and both in the senior teams and both nationally as well, in terms of how, how the Scottish teams have competed. What would you say have been some of the success stories um, from your point of view? Well, in fact, I was just thinking about some of the features that we might um, include in the one two five, And I was going to ask each club that kind of question. You know, to, to to pull out their highlights and give us a wee paragraph, each of them to say what is the uh, history of the GAA and its development meant to them as a as a club and a community. Um, and one of the other features is identifying some of the great characters and personalities who, you know, come into Scotland, play the play the game, and uh, even in our own club, we've had. Um, at least three, no, I think maybe four players who have played for Dalriada and gone back to their clubs in Ireland and won all Ireland medals. Wow! And wow. you know, if they hadn't uh, been offered the opportunity to play Gaelic games while they had been uh, either working or at university in Dundee, that would never have happened. Uh, that was the continuity in the game that enabled that to happen. So, um, you know, that's noteworthy and uh, it's a great um, uh, success uh, to be able to say that we have played at a sufficiently high and competitive level to allow players to come over here, play in Scotland during their time at university here and go back and be competitive still at the highest level uh, in Ireland to, to the extent that they won All-Ireland 
All-Ireland medals. I mean, obviously, in recent years, we've had the Scotland ladies playing at Croke Park and we've had Dineen Connolly's, both the men's and the women's teams, um, being successful out with Scotland. That must have been really impressive to see. Well, these are the kind of things that, you know, I'd like Dunedin to give us their highlights because they have had such amazing success Mm -hmm. uh, at both men's and ladies' levels. Uh, I mean, their men's teams have gone over and and competed um, at the highest level uh, in Ireland against um, uh, opposition that contained county players uh, over there and uh, came back with very creditable results. And uh, the... um, Winning British Championships is one thing, but going over to Ireland and uh, being able to compete with the Irish is, is amazing. And at, at university level, while I was an administrator of University Gaelic Games, we had uh, teams from Britain going over and, and beating the Irish at their level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, Napier College uh, in Edinburgh, or Napier University, won two Fergal Maher Cups. That's hurling. Um, and beating uh, teams in Ireland, you know, like Carlo and um, established uh, hurling teams. So, you know, again, we were able to provide um, that high level of uh, Gaelic games here uh, and uh, uh, being able to do that uh, is what the, the GA kind of system is all about, you know, throughout the world is, is providing um, uh, not just the, the social uh, and uh, the family kind of atmosphere, but also um, meaningful level of, of Gaelic games. And I guess just on that point, how, how important has it been to have the, the Scotland County team back up and running? Yeah, I think that's that's crucial. Um, it it uh, is a... Um, a way I, I, I describe it as incentivization. You, uh, if you're coming in to play a sport, you always uh, look up to those who have uh, played um, at county level or at the higher level that you aspire to. And uh, at the uh, county level, uh, we've had, uh, for example, a game two years ago uh, against Kerry. Now, just to share a pitch with uh, the county in Ireland that has the most uh, enviable um, track record in uh, Gaelic games uh, in, in Ireland, uh, and to get their respect uh, and for them to you know, come over and enjoy the hospitality in Scotland and go back uh, um, and, and, and carry radio and say how they, much they enjoyed it, uh, the whole experience. Again, these are uh, the, the reasons for youth being incentivized to play. You, you need to provide incentives in, in life for anything. And uh, it's been able to provide those incentives. And that's why we were very much against uh, the recent move at Croke Park to downgrade the uh, Junior All-Ireland Championship because we said this is what provides the incentives for players to, uh, to play Gaelic games uh, over here. Take that away and you remove a major incentive 
absolutely. Another another um, major positive has been the formation of Ken Ken Krieger, and yeah. what's what's been your thoughts on that to bring a you know a Holland club a Holland club to to Scotland for the long, first time in a long time? Yeah, I I don't think people realise how significant that is. Um, for years, um, the uh, uniqueness of Scotland has been that hurlers come over from Ireland again, you know, top hurlers playing in an in international uh, compromise rules uh, fixture. And that's been going on for years uh, up in Inverness, but it's almost as if it's invisible to us. And we are now in a position uh, to uh, provide the sister sport of hurling, which I think could have a, uh, an amazing uh, future here, uh, more so than the, uh, the clubs down in England, for example. Uh, I can see this developing into uh, something that's, that's very powerful. What is really required is other clubs in Scotland to think about adding that to their portfolio and therefore be able to uh, begin to uh, develop a meaningful uh, hurling league within Scotland and start the youth um, Camogian hurling uh, so that we, we at, 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 in other words, don't repeat the mistakes of the past, begin that now and have the under 12s and under 14s, even before that, uh, it even started under six or under eight, playing around uh, little fun games and go games. Um, and we would have that annual fixture uh, as a much more meaningful uh, fixture for the GA as well. Um, the top hurlers uh, in Ireland come over and they play in Inverness and they go back home and we, we don't even attend the games or it hasn't been part of uh, the awareness of um, the Scotland County Board. It'd be nice for that to be changed and for uh, hurling and shinty hurling and camogie to be new sports within uh, Scotland. And again, the redevelopment of the Pierce Park project has that as one of the uh, driving forces. Um, and the, uh, the incredible uh, opportunities um, that, that exist um, within that hurling and camogie uh, are that we could then have a Scotland team uh, that is competitive, maybe even in the, in the annual fixture in due course. So that's uh, um, a real incentive for us to, to develop that. Um, and the history over the years has been that uh, teams from uh, Ireland have come over and played university level. So every decade uh, from the 1920s, there's been activity uh, of Scotland shinty teams playing Irish hurling teams in that international and again, that's almost invisible to us. I would say not too many people um, in our, our GEA, our contemporary GEA peers would even know that that existed, that there was um, hurling in Shinty because it hasn't yeah. been part of yeah. our landscape, but it is now. So, so we've, touched, we've touched on it 
and we might as well go into that next. So another major positive recently was the plans to, to develop Pierce Park. Um, now, as somebody who never had the chance to play there, but knew of its significance, and I, I know that this is this is a really big thing for the GA in Scotland. So if you could tell us a wee bit more about that. Yeah, well, the um, group of um, Irish who... Uh, came to Glasgow after the Second World War uh, uh, in uh, the late 40s, uh, where the group that uh, purchased, they, they were obviously highly motivated uh, um, to get Gaelic Games going to the extent that they re realised that the best way to do that would be um, to purchase uh, some of their, their own uh, ground to do that, and that was uh, Eastfield uh, between Campus Lang and Rutherglen, and um, that served the GEA very, very well uh, in the early 50s when they had um, good teams and they were playing, and uh, it was, um, I, I described earlier how there was a decline in the 70s, but it was Pierce Park uh, where all the meetings were held and where the revival meeting in uh, 1984 uh, was held and they said well we've already got our ground so there should be no uh, difficulty in setting up a league structure and getting teams involved because here we have um, our very own Gilly football patch and um, at that time the games were a lot of games um, were played uh, in Pierce Park uh, and that was uh, with all of the teams around, in and around Glasgow. Um, there was, at that stage, there was no team in Edinburgh, uh, but the team in Edinburgh was formed in 1989, and then the team in Dundee in 1990. So Pierce Park was a real hub at that stage. But uh, there was never um, a very uh, prestigious infrastructure um, uh, and uh, not very much money to be able to develop that. So the, uh, the changing facilities uh, just comprised of really a, a tin hut um, that uh, in the 80s uh, was no longer you know, regarded as fit for purpose, especially since uh, we're competing with soccer and rugby and, and much better facilities. So uh, there was an attempt uh, in the early 90s to raise uh, the funds uh, to develop the facilities. But that has always been uh, the difficulty is uh, being able to raise sufficient funds that would be significant. And it takes a very concerted effort. So we set up um, a redevelopment committee then uh, we did have some of the most prestigious matches uh, in Scotland um, that have ever been held in that we brought All-Ireland champions, uh, Donegal, in 1993 to play Mayo. Uh, they, Donegal won that game and they played the 1993 All-Ireland champions, Derry. Uh, so here was um, one of the most prestigious games that you could possibly conceive being played in Scotland, uh, the 1992 versus 1993 All-Ireland Champions. 
then in the following year, um, the uh, Dublin team, a uh, very prestigious team from Dublin, were invited over and played. And in the fourth year of that series, uh, Tyrone played Dublin um, because the winner uh, was awarded a special trophy. It was called the Willie Dodge uh, Memorial Cup. And that trophy uh, was um, uh, in the hands of the, of the winners. But without the Donegal, we discovered that uh, massive Donegal diaspora in Glasgow and without the Donegal contingent, um, it was less lucrative. But, but that series still stands uh, as you know, a very prestigious series of events. Unfortunately, there was insufficient from that alone uh, to be able to redevelop uh, Pierce Park. So uh, when the changing rooms disappeared, the, um, there was insufficient funds. And uh, even though we applied to uh, Croke Park and we applied to Sports Scotland, um, uh, that was insufficient uh, to rebuild the uh, changing rooms and the uh, pavilion. But we've now uh, regenerated that committee. We've set up a new strategy, one element of which was to develop our infrastructure. And uh, because that piece of ground still belongs uh, to the Irish community and Gaelic community here, uh, we have made a concerted effort and we're well on the way now to getting the planning uh, we have a very um, uh, uh, expert uh, technical committee uh, who have done the site visits, they've done all the uh, topographical surveys, they've done all the traffic flow impacts, flood impact assessment um, underway. So we are now at a more advanced stage of planning uh, than we've ever been. And uh, hopefully, the uh, combination of a number of different funds uh, to develop infrastructure will will follow on. And and you were talking earlier on there about the the Harlan and, and Shinty International that takes place. Is that the sort of event you would look to hold at Pierce Park in the future? Well, that is exactly the kind of um, uh, fixture that you could aspire to hold. Uh, you would, um, the fact is that uh, we have on our, our board and our technical committee, uh, we have Shinty interest at the moment, but that's just locally. Uh, we would be very keen uh, to make sure that uh, Shinty see the value of uh, this redeveloped facility to help um, uh, boost the uh, Shinty, uh, just like we're hoping it boosts um, uh, Gaelic uh, Games. And that would be another element where the multi-sport hub concept um, comes to, to bear in terms of uh, being uh, eligible for funding. And another sister sport you could call it uh, of Gaelic Games is uh, Aussie Rules. So uh, we're again just uh, speaking to our counterparts uh, to offer them uh, the facility that we'll develop uh, so that we'd have a multi, we'll truly have a multi hub, uh, multi sport hub. Um, and 
the cultural aspect as well as the sporting aspect, we aspire to um, by making the uh, pavilion available uh, and having suitable facilities uh, to be able to house um, the cultural aspects that we want to develop, the Irish language, the, the, the dancing, the singing. Uh, and that would help us um, develop a vision uh, and have uh, an Irish cultural centre in Glasgow. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, fingers crossed it comes to fruition very soon. Um, so next year we've got the 125th anniversary celebration. So what's what's in the planning for that? Yeah, well, that's uh, coming very fast, uh, uh, just around the corner. And we've already, um, uh, as you might imagine, have done quite a bit of the um, the basic organization, which is uh, the venue, the time, the date, um, uh, the program. And uh, uh, the venue is the Village Hotel, and the date is the 15th uh, of January. And we are hosting the British Provincial Council. Uh, so that's the council uh, that's in charge of the Gaelic Games in Britain at a provincial level. and. Um, their meetings and workshops will be during the day on the 15th and the anniversary uh, 125 anniversary dinner uh, will be on the evening uh, with invitations uh, uh, to uh, not only the British Provincial Council but also to Ulster Council, to the president uh, of the GEA from Coke Park who's got it in his diary. Um, and uh, we hope that that will be uh, a program that appeals to all the clubs. The clubs will, will all uh, buy into this and buy, buy the, uh, the tables and make it a really uh, uh, prestigious and fitting event for 125 years of, of Gaelic Games in Scotland. Um, we'll also, as we said, invite our uh, colleagues uh, from the Kamenach, um, and uh, we'll invite the Irish consulate. We'll make sure that the cultural uh, interests that we have are represented so that they, we can all join together for a, a kind of a family celebration. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Just, I mean, looking back at, at your, your time spent at uh, the GA in Scotland, what have been some of your favorite memories? If we, if we take aside, we've looked at some of the, the successes, but personally, what's been some of your, your favorite memories? Well, you, you know, you make, uh, and I mentioned it earlier in the context of uh, the under 14, under, uh, under 16, under 18 games and school games that I played, that lifelong friendships uh, are fantastic. And um, it was the same, I, I, I said I'd spent um, 20 years uh, also as chair of uh, the British University Gaelic Games, you actually have contacts in every county in Ireland and uh, the friendships uh, that are aligned to that are the kind of um, dependable uh, friendships. They're not passing uh, in the night friendships. They're friendships that you make and that last. And throughout the 
playing career, every player you play against uh, for 60 minutes during that game may be an enemy, but they become a lifelong friend. So the, the friendship and the camaraderie is uh, a special feature for me. And, you know, to have those kind of lasting uh, friendships and people you can depend on, it's going to be very important, for example, as we aspire to develop uh, uh, Pierce Park, because I know that uh, those players who've played in the past, uh, the clubs uh, who've participated in the past, um, will all chip in, they'll all uh, make their contributions um, and make it a, a success, because I, I do think that the GA does tend to inspire um, that kind of uh, uh, friendship and, and common purpose. Absolutely, that's a good that's a good advert for someone to join a, a GA club there, right there. <laughs> um, just in terms of the Tyrone itself, you know, uh, you said that they weren't as successful when you were growing up, but they've since won four All Islands. Have you managed to get back for any of them? Or all of them? <laughs> I, I have been at all of those finals, um, <laughs> including the one this year. Uh, and another of, of a lovely photograph from this year's, um, because my oldest uncle, so I was 95 years of age, and he was also there. So wow. <laughs> uh, that shows um, how committed we are in, in, in Tyrone and uh when we get to an All-Ireland final, it's well-supported. But the uh, 1992 was the first All-Ireland that I went to, and that was when Donegal beat Dublin in the final. That was, again, such a special memory that I haven't missed an All-Ireland since. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, so I've been at the ball. Um, but I not my wildest dreams as I was going to consecutive uh all-Ireland finals over the years. I never, ever thought I'd see the day where I'd be wearing a Tyrone jersey at one. Uh, but, but fortunately, uh, it happened in the 2000s was the golden era for us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, actually, there's a wee lesson there as well, because, uh, or at least as we set up um, what we call the Club 125 for our uh, wee fundraising effort. In 2000, the millennium year, Tyrone set up a, a, a little fundraiser called Club Tyrone. And in actual fact, uh, the brain behind Club Tyrone was, uh, you'll know Jimmy Tracy from Glasgow Gales. Yes. His dad, also Jimmy, who set this up. But that Club Tyrone attracted such a tremendous level of interest uh, that it became... Uh, 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 an integral part of the funding of Tyrone football, and it, I don't think it's any uh, it's any accident that we began to win all Ireland's when we were well supported and well funded. So the first was in two thousand and three, as you know, and then uh, again two thousand and five, and later in two thousand and eight. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's a lesson when uh, a good idea uh, sparked that raises interest and also increases the level of support. And these are these are just supporters, volunteers who are making a contribution saying, yes, if I can do anything to help, I will. 
and um, I'm hoping, uh, as I say, that our Club 125 will develop into uh, something that makes people proud to be uh, involved with Scottish um, uh, GAA and Scottish Gaelic Games, and uh, that we'll continue to build on that even beyond our, our 125 year, uh, 2022. And actually, you know, this year, um, there's a, um, something that you'll be aware of because I, I think it's in the next edition of the Irish Voice, uh, is the Causeway Awards. Mm-hmm. And we went along to um, this annual event, which we've bought into and subscribed to in the GEA. And we were nominated uh, in one of the categories, um, uh, which was social impact category. And uh, I was blown over when we actually were awarded. We, we won that, uh, that award uh, at a very prestigious uh, event in Edinburgh. And it shows that, you know, we do have the infrastructure through uh, the efforts of, of many people in the clubs and the county board um, to have an impact. And I think we do uh, have that impact and we hope that we can use that as a springboard to uh, inspire further effort to, to make sure that we uh, uh, continue to value um, uh, the community spirit that the GEA engenders. Absolutely. And I think um, just from being involved in, in GEA circles, um, some of the people that, are, are, that take to do with the clubs are so impressive because they put their heart and soul into it. I know there's obviously yourself, there's people like Joe Bradley, Jen Tracy, lots of people at Tircono and King Craig and King Craig and stuff like that. Um, so it, it just goes to show how important volunteers are um, for the GAA clubs here. Yeah, if I might say so, I think another very important element is uh, to have the support of the Irish Voice. You know, that's another element of this uh, the ingredients that hold everybody together. And uh, again, uh, a huge element of uh, volunteerism involved in the production of, 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 of that newspaper. Mm-hmm. And we're just like yourselves. We're just, um, we're passionate about, obviously, uh, myself and Dan have both played uh, GA, um, but we're obviously, we've came from a media background, so it was something that we thought we could do to, um, to kind of, like you say, a lot of t- when you, you were talking about the Hurling and Shinty and there a lot of people not knowing about that. Some people didn't even know there was Gaelic football taking place in Scotland. And that's even yeah. w- within the Irish community itself. So we're always of that op- opinion that if we get any kind of story, whether it's just, uh, whether it's a match report um, or whether it's a club night out, anything like that, we, we are, we're always, always keen to showcase it because it's a very, very important part of the, the Irish community in Scotland yeah. and, and across the world, you know, GA is, is crucially important. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I would be res- remiss of me because you are the All-Ireland champions, um, not to talk a wee bit more about uh, Tyrone. They've, they've always been one of those clubs in about the past 20 years that have been there or thereabouts. Do you think that, do you think that stems back from that fund? Or is, it, is that basically having, you know, Mickey Hart as a coach for a long, long time who created that dynasty and then kind of left it, left a legacy sort of thing? Or is it to do with just getting a, 
a really good batch of players that had, you know, your Canavans and Mulligans and Cavaners and stuff like that at the one time? Is it just, you know, is it cyclical or, is, is, or do you think there's been something put there? Because they're, a lot of the time they're always in the quarters or semi-finals, the All-Islands. They, they do really, really yeah. well in the league. They're one of the kind of top six teams, you would say. Hmm. Well, I think what's uh, the, the um, key to the success um, has been the competitive spirit that Ulster engenders. Because to get out of Ulster, uh, you have to be, um, uh, from the very start of the season, from the very first round of that championship, you've got to be at your best. Because you can easily, and it's happened in the past, uh, be knocked out in the first round. And having trained for three or four months to get into an All-Ireland series, you could find yourself uh, playing one match and that's, so that, uh, and it's the same in Scotland, um, the standards keep rising as the competitiveness increases and uh, it drives you on. And what is even more important is that uh, Tyrone now have developed, um, um, you would say, uh, um, a status where everybody wants to beat them. And that, again, raises your standards and they also have um, neighboring counties uh, where there's desperate rivalry you know Armagh, Donegal and that means that these players know that there's absolutely no way that they're going to win all Ireland unless they set out with a very positive attitude from the first day they train and uh, the uh, the other underpinning aspect in Toronto, I think people uh, have referred to that uh, in, the, in the last few years, is the competitiveness at club level. And then that feeds into the county. So they have, they have a system now in Toronto where they do have um, highly competitive uh, first division uh, uh, football. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, almost anybody can beat anybody, as was shown in the championship this year, the two teams that are emerged in the, in the championship were Dromore and Coal Island, who were uh, mid-table or even lower end of the table in the league at times. Um, the bigger teams like Errigal Kieran and Carrig Moore uh, were beaten in the area. And Dungannon, who won it last year, uh, you know, were, were knocked out in the, uh, in the early stages. So we have uh, a competitive club system uh, of, that feeds into, uh, well, well, raises the standards feeds into the county team and a very competitive Ulster County uh, setup. So that means that you're really well prepared if you emerge from Ulster to go into uh, an All-Ireland, a really intensive All-Ireland semi-final mm-hmm. and then a final. Uh, and, and I think that, that you know, it, it actually applies exactly the same uh, over here. The higher the standards that are set, like for, for example, by Dunedin Connolly's, that raised the standards of Glasgow Gales um, and they managed to win a championship in 2019, but it took years uh, of, of training and striving. Uh, and we've now, you know, uh, we're very fortunate in Scotland that when we see our county final, our senior county final, we're seeing the best football in Britain. You know, really competitive stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
just in terms of that, obviously there was the, the special congress recently and it proposed a number of changes. And Ulster's probably a bit uh, unique and there is a very competitive provincial championship. But obviously they've been looking at some of the, the provinces, especially Leinster, where Dublin's kind of run away with everything for a long, long time. Uh, and they were looking at changes. What, what were your thoughts on those? You know, because you've always got a very different perspective. You come from um, a province that, that is competitive. But what, what do you think overall? Well, at the end of the debate, and I was uh, uh, fortunate to have been able to tune into that debate, um, the overwhelming thought was that we do have... Uh, tremendous opportunity to make it fairer, to make it uh, different. There is a need for change. In other words, that was a consensus. There was nobody who disagreed with that. Um, but the structures that were being proposed, there was, there was two really front-running uh, uh, alternatives. Um, neither of them uh, provided incentives. I talked a lot in this talk about incentives. Uh, Incentives to play National League, for example. National League has always been a very important. It was removing the incentive uh, for teams to take that seriously because it didn't count for anything. And um, then the other uh, aspect that it devalued was uh, the provincial championship. So uh, I would have favoured something that um, provided incentives uh, for, for the National League and continued to uh, provide what incentivizes a lot of, a lot of players uh, when they look at the history and see the provincial championships. So the, uh, the difficulty is that um, uh, you, you uh, referred to it, Ulster is the only functional uh, provincial championship at the moment. But there was a number of proposals that didn't reach the table that I thought would have achieved uh, those two objectives, providing the incentives. And um, one example is making the national leagues competitive to the extent that those who emerge in the top three or four in the national leagues uh, then are transferred into a different bracket for um, improving the competitiveness of the subsequent championship mm -hmm. but uh there, there was a couple of proposals like that that were made that one was for example uh a proposal by sean kelly uh as an individual he didn't have it as a um a proposal that was debated or discussed uh but what the um the underlying feeling was yes we need change but this structure that you've offered to change um, does not require or does not uh, achieve the, the, the requirement that everybody uh, was comfortable with. And therefore, I think it was appropriate to say, we can do better, we can get a better structure and we can come back next year uh, having had this debate and having had another 12 months uh, to work out what the best possible uh, um, structure would be uh, that values um, the history of the provincial championships and also provides the best incentives for the players. 
and, and so just we're, we're, gonna, we're going into the next season now with the status quo we're just going to um, have another year of the similar championship to last year mm. which, which seemed to work well for Tyrone <laughs> what did you think about for example the the super eights yeah well the the super eights uh had the um advantage of being able to uh provide or at least uh, the uh, idea was they would uh provide the best um uh, and most competitive last eight but the disadvantage uh, was that um, it put a lot of the teams um, that would have felt in the past they had a chance of getting to a provincial final, um, uh, giving them uh, no chance even from the outset. So there was too many uh, teams that were disadvantaged. The, the eight that managed to emerge um, would obviously get all the spoils and uh, it was in danger and is in danger of creating a two-tier system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually there, there's nothing wrong with that as long as the lower tiers are also um, given opportunities to develop and given the possibility that should they in two or three or five or 10 years time have a brilliant team that they will still be able uh, to emerge into the latter stages of an All-Ireland Championship. Uh, because that's that's the opportunity that even teams like Fermanagh and Antrim who've never uh, won All-Irelands, but you, you always aspire when you're at, uh, at school in Fermanagh or at school in Antrim or in, in, in Belfast or Cushendall, uh, you would still say, you know, I would love to see the day when uh, we are able to get to the top table and uh, that day may happen. Um, you know, for decades, Tyrone have, have uh, been in the doldrums, um, but the, the, the incentives, and I keep going back to that word, have to be there to provide everybody with an opportunity. And I think it's the same, you know, you look at uh, soccer and uh, the cup competitions are brilliant for their upsets. You've got to have that uh, uh, a bit of excitement and an opportunity. I think that the point that it always comes back around to is Dublin, and they've obviously been hugely successful in the, in the past few while. But with that, I mean, there was a few games last year where you know Meath ran them close, and they didn't. Uh, they looked as if that maybe that stranglehold was breaking. Do you think it's cyclical with them, or do you think that was just an off year that they had? Uh, you mean the 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 fact that Dublin didn't win the yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for once yeah 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 well you know I'm uh, in awe of that team and how they have managed to remain at the top for so long um, because I know from the Tyrone experience that uh, it's very difficult to keep a level of of fitness and competitiveness and, you know, you have to have true grit and determination to win a Gaelic football match. The team that is most determined wins most matches, irrespective of skill. They have retained that, and I think that maybe is a credit to their management as well. So uh, I never ever thought I'd see them 
are winning five in a row, but they've, they've actually done it. And that's a massive achievement. Um, I don't think the same players will retain uh, the, you know, the same hunger. Once you have a couple of uh, seasons where you've played at the top level and you've achieved what is your ultimate goal, uh, there, there tends to be uh, a slight drop off in your level of hunger. Uh, yeah. And the players who have never won it um, are likely to be more hungry. And that current uh, Tyrone team that won All Ireland this year, of course, none of them had ever won All Ireland before. Um, they were uh, a team that over the years had aspired um, and they'd seen their, their peers doing it. Uh, and and their, um, the good team in 2008 uh, was the last team that did it. But there, there was um, a really, really hungry team. So going into the semi-final against Kerry, uh, not too many people predicted that Tyrone would beat Kerry in that game. But I knew that uh, uh, the hunger in Tyrone and uh, the amount of kind of criticism and the, the backs to the wall attitude that they had, that they had a fighting chance. And they, and they, they won that game and then went on, as we know, to win the final. Yeah, and, and I watched watched that this, that semi final, and I, um, I was I was mightily impressed. And I think obviously because Mayo had knocked out Dublin, uh, a lot of people thought that you know it was going to be a a fait accompli sort of thing. But when, like you say, when you've seen the hunger in Tyrone, I I, I kind of fancied them for the final. There's obviously the um, you know Mayo seem to have that kind of mental milestone around their neck. They don't seem to have shaken it. Um, on that point, do you think that they will eventually shake that and, and win an All-Ireland because they've been there or thereabouts quite a long uh, a long time? Uh, uh, Mayo, Mayo will undoubtedly win an All-Ireland because they retain the hunger. They, they've, they've retained that for an impressive amount of time. And um, the efforts of the preceding team is the incentive for the succeeding team. And uh, they are going to continue to knock on the door until they won one and uh and it it is actually um only bad luck in a few finals that uh have stood between them and all irelands um i've been at croke park and and saw uh their games uh you know against dublin in the past and the replays that they went to and they, they should have won those games um but they will continue to have that hunger. And I know the Mayo mentality. They will continue to have that hunger until they won uh, an All-Ireland. And uh, they'll be knocking on the door. They'll be the, uh, the top team uh, in Connacht again, I think, for the next three or four years as they continue to uh, press for, the, for that ultimate honour that has been so elusive. But, yeah. The great people, the Mayo people have massive incentive. They do a great job. Uh, our club has a squad of Mayo guys. Um, they, to a man, are so highly committed. Uh, it's a bit like the Tyrone mentality as well. Um, Gaelic games is, is uh, the, the be-all and end-all. <laughs> and Peter... Just, I'm just going to ask you a really hearted question to, to finish off here. Um, you're Sean Kavanagh. 
you're bearing down in that Monaghan forward. Do you take him out? I love love that you obviously didn't see me playing in the past (laughs) you would have known the answer (laughs) I was just thinking whenever that that was getting discussed and obviously Joe Brawley was going you know going nuts about it I remember thinking maybe I was just looking at it from a a football soccer perspective I was thinking yeah I would have done that you know if if somebody's going through yeah if somebody's going through in the last minute you're taking them out and I was quite surprised back then at the kind of furor that it created but it's I guess it just goes to show you that, uh, that there is maybe slight differences between uh, you know football and Gaelic in that regard, sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> but maybe they're maybe they're closing, maybe they're narrowing. But um, yeah, I find it to be quite funny. <laughs> um, Peter, just before we go, is is there anything you want to give a, a shout out to? Um, we've obviously got the the Scotland GA page on Facebook uh, is very active and it posts quite a lot. Um, is, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to just before we finish? Well, actually, you know, if there are clubs listening in, um, uh, the Club 125, uh, which will be, it's already been launched, but it it will be highlighted uh, at the AGM, which is coming up. Um, We're looking to ensure that everyone uh, who has contributed to Gaelic Games um, uh, over the last, you know, 30 years, uh, since that revival in 1884, that we get in touch with them all and be able to provide them with an opportunity to subscribe to that. Now, what we're asking is that uh, for £125 we're offering that you have the name, your name inscribed on uh, uh, the uh, edifice that we're going to produce that will be Uh, in the um, foyer uh, of uh, the atrium of the new Pierce Park building. And so that will be something that will be stand the test of time. Uh, We'll have it there as uh, a monument uh, that celebrates uh, the revival of the GEA and the 125 years of contribution of the GEA to to Irish culture and uh, sport in Scotland. And there's ex-chairs of the GEA in the past that we've been trying to get in touch with, uh, ex-players and uh, those stakeholders who've supported us, who may say, yeah, um, uh, I'm glad that we have that opportunity. So this is the opportunity just to say, uh, please get in touch with either myself or uh, Jen Tracy or Noreen Hughes or anybody in the county board um, and uh, we will have those uh, 125 names hopefully by the time of our event uh, in uh, January, our celebratory event and there may be a number of other events, in fact there will be that uh, throughout uh, 2022 uh, that we want people to uh, uh, sign up for and contribute to. Fantastic. So uh, just in, in that regard, if people could uh, head, over, head over to Facebook and the Scotland GA page, because a lot of the information is posted there, and keep your eye out on the Irish Voice, both digitally and in print, because we will be um, 
writing about that as much as possible as we possibly can in the coming year. So, Peter, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to the 125th celebrations next year, and thanks very much for your time. Brilliant. Thank, thank you very much, Jared. It's really uh, enjoyable having a chat, and uh, um, look forward to seeing you in the in the near future. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.